It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Agriculture Conversation right here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. And where I'm sitting right now, it's absolutely beautiful. There's palm trees. There is beautiful mountains. I'm in St. George, Utah, and I'm joining the Utah Association of Conservation Districts for their 70th year. Their annual meeting is currently underway. I had the opportunity to serve as their keynote speaker. I don't know what they saw in me, but they invited me down and I didn't get booed. So I'm going to take that as a win. But we are going to be talking about the opioid crisis here today. This impacts every single American doesn't matter if you're in a city or in the countryside. The widespread epidemic that is the opioid crisis is ruining communities, ruining families, and it's something that we have to talk about because we have to find a solution to helping those out because there is help out there and it's okay to get help. Our guest today is actually the director of the Utah Association of Conservation Districts, but she's also a researcher, a keynote speaker, and an expert on the opioid epidemic. Her name is Dr. Christy Kane, and uh, Christy, thank you for joining us here today, and uh, it's just so beautiful here in Utah. It is, yeah, I love living in Utah. Now, uh, we, we're going to break into the conversation about opioids and maybe talk, talk about some technology, how people are addicted to technology as well and the impact that has on them as well. But we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to be back right after these messages with Dr. Christy Kane. Get ready for the 2018 Montana Farm Bureau Annual Convention, November 7th through the 10th at the Northern and Doubletree Hotels in downtown Billings. Montana Farm Bureau will kick off its centennial celebration, so get ready for an exciting high-energy meeting. Learn how to combat consumer distrust in agriculture, find out the latest on the farm bill, chat with a panel of large animal vets, and check up on how tax reform affects you. Then, County Farm Bureau voting delegates will discuss Farm Bureau policy for 2019. Register today at mfbf.org. Dr. Christy Kane is our guest today, and we've been talking about this topic, the opioid crisis, for quite some time. We have groups like the Farm Bureau and the Farmers Union, two agriculture groups that maybe do not agree on a lot of things. This is one of their priorities, and it's a priority for many farmers and ranchers across the nation in addressing the epidemic that is the opioid crisis. So, Dr. Christy Kane, for maybe our listeners out there that are kind of familiar with this situation, how did the opioid epidemic get as bad as it has, and, and how do we get it out of hand, and what, what are some solutions we have to look towards the future and helping our neighbors out across the countryside and in our cities? You know, in the 1990s, when the pharmaceutical companies introduced, um, especially pain meds, they introduced it with the disguise that there would no way be habit-forming or cause any addictions. Now we know it's exactly the opposite. And in the 1990s, that was the number one go-to um, medication form to treat pain. And we know, especially in rural communities and in the farming and agriculture business, we're always dealing with injuries, we're dealing with a lot of hard labor. And so just, it was a natural process for them to go see their doctors and for doctors to prescribe pain medication, which is an opioid um, form. And, you know, in all intention to help them. The problem is, is there was that big deception that this can't be addictive. Well, when the pain was over, they still wanted that same high or relaxation or stress relief, whatever they were getting from the medication, and that intensified the craving and the use. Because 
One of the things people may not understand is opioid use is a neurological process. It changes the human brain. It changes the neurotransmitters that are put into the synapse of the brain. So we look at it oftentimes and we say, well, just get over it, stop using it. It actually, drugs neurologically alter the brain. And because it neurologically alters the brain, especially playing with a neurotransmitter called dopamine, and dopamine is a feel-good neurotransmitter. So like if someone takes a, a Percocet or a oxycodone, it tells the brain to put more dopamine into the synapse. And, and dopamine is a neurotransmitter. And so what is happening is our brain learns to produce more and more dopamine because of the opioids that are taken, whether that's a synthetic form, whether they're taking heroin. And then what our brain does naturally, because it's getting too many stimulated artificially, the brain stops producing it naturally. And that's why it's so addictive and that's why it's so hard to get off, is because it creates an overload. And then when suddenly somebody starts stops taking it, they have what they call a crash or a craving. You've probably heard those terms. That's because the brain's not naturally stimulating the, the synapses to do it the way it's supposed to. And that's why it's so dangerous. It's not just a behavioral modification, which it does. It actually alters the brain. And we have to understand that as families and as friends, when we're trying to help someone change, that they've really altered their brain chemistry. And that's why they're so addictive. So a question that many ask is, why did it take so long to see that this truly was an epidemic? What, what, what is your insight on that? Because obviously we're trying to address it now, and I know we will address it, but why did it take so long? Well, money. You know, there's huge lawsuits now in the pharmaceutical area. We're also kind of slow to learn about anything. Remember when nicotine and smoking first came on? I mean, you've probably seen the old pictures where people are riding the Tour de France and smoking cigarettes because they were told it increased their lung capacity. Well, it didn't. It did the exact opposite, right? I don't know why we're so delayed as humans, but maybe it's the ease. Maybe it's really the fact that there is a lot of pain. There is a lot of stress. And the other big problem in this is that less than... 80% of people who deal with addictions ever get mental health treatment. And so that's another reason because we have so many people out there suffering, but either they don't have the insurance, they don't have the resources in their communities to get the treatment they need. And so it took a while to raise the red flag because a lot of people have been suffering on their own. Now across the West, rural communities, they're the backbone of, of our economies. and especially for farmers and ranchers. The rural health care system isn't strong in some areas. They might have to drive an hour or two just to get to a regional hospital. And, you know, sometimes it's easier to come in, you get banged up by a cow, something happens with farm equipment, and you want to get back to work. And we know the statistics that farmers and ranchers are very dependent on uh, opioids. And what's your message to those farmers and ranchers? We're very... Uh, strong-minded people. We don't want a lot of help from our neighbors, but uh, why is it so important to have this conversation? Because it's tough to have that conversation and to ask for help, but your family is impacted by this as well. You know, isn't it interesting? We're getting a little better, right? But mental health has always, and I always refer to it as medical mental health, because we've always had a stigmatism that if you had a medical mental health issue, something was wrong with you, right? Where if you have cancer or diabetes, there's nothing wrong with you. And I think part of what we have to help farmers understand is there's nothing wrong 
if you have a medical mental health or if you have a physical medical issue. They change the body chemistry and you have to have help. Um, I also know that we're getting better at offering telemed. We're getting better at offering telebehavioral health to rural communities. So we're recognizing that some of these people do want help, but you're right, there's no services. So we are seeing a growth in the telemed option. But most importantly, I say to farmers, you know, people who come into my office, you wouldn't walk up to somebody who was diabetic and say, so what'd you do and what's wrong with you? So why do we do that when someone's dealing with a mental health or an addiction issue? You didn't do anything wrong, there's nothing wrong with you, and we can help you get help. And there's lots of different resources and more and more coming to the rural communities. So how do family members and friends help in this process? What are some of the educational materials they need to maybe uh, read a little bit more on? How do they help those that are suffering through this uh, crisis because there's help? but at the end of the day, we need a support system around individuals that uh, are impacted by opioids or any addiction. Well, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make, especially in the farmer community, right, it's pick yourself up by your bootstraps and go to work. And so sometimes we make the assumption that you can just get over it. You can do this on your own. You don't need help. Or we go back and say, well, what's wrong with you? So one of the things that we have to do is family needs to be educated on the exact neurological addiction process that drugs do in the brain. And they need to come to understand that addictions are biological. It's not because somebody's emotionally weak. It's not because someone doesn't have the, the grit to get up and do it. But they've actually altered their body chemistry. And if we can begin looking at addiction from a true biological standpoint, just like we do cancer, just like we do diabetes, then I think family's ability to support instead of saying, hey, what's wrong with you? And why can't you just do what you need to do will improve. So education. Then find out what resources are available in your communities and take action with those resources. You're right, you can't help someone until they're ready to help themselves. But if you can support them and help them understand there's nothing wrong with them, then we have a better chance. Now, it's also going to be an effort to almost rebuild trust with the medical community and rehab and doing physical therapy and getting that hip or that knee replaced because I've talked to some producers just like, well, I don't want to get you know, addicted to pain pills, so I'm not going to have my hip replaced. But how do we rebuild that trust with our medical system across the nation uh, and with pharmaceuticals as well? You know, now what we're finding is a lot of your practitioners are not prescribing opioids. And they're coming up with different forms of synthetics that offer the same type of pain relief as an opioid. We're also getting better at pharmaceutical regulations, so you can't go from one pharmacy to another pharmacy to refill your prescription and get more drugs than you're supposed to. And so part of what people need to understand is they shouldn't avoid getting medical cures and, and medical procedures and understand that they as a patient can tell the doctor I don't want an opioid medication I'd like to try a different route and we do have combinations of different medication that will work as well as the opioid so that's one thing don't think just because the doctor says you need this you need this as a patient you need to decide what medication regimen you want now, another question I have, we have, especially in Montana, we, see, we have seen an uptick in meth use um, now that the opioid issue is coming to the front forefront and 
for a while we had the Not Even Once campaign in Montana, Meth Not Even Once, and it decreased. Very graphic commercial showing young people and people of all ages the effects that meth has. What are some strategies that need to take place in our rural communities uh, to help stem all drug abuse? Well, first of all, a lot of reasons people begin using drugs is because they're self-medicating. And we need to understand that. And we need to start talking about mental health. I'm going to go back to that statistic that less than 80% of people who struggle with mental health issues get help. So a lot of times kids try something, sure, because they think it's going to be fun. But most of the time, any illegal drugs begin because someone's trying to deal with depression or anxiety or bipolar, and they can't get access to psychotropic medication, so they're trying to figure out how to self-medicate. So number one, we need to talk about mental health a lot more. The, the World Health Organization declared depression as the number one medical issue in, in, across the globe. And we estimate that about 13 million adult Americans and 11% of our adolescent population struggle with mental health issues. I even read a statistic yesterday that said 50% of our kids could qualify for a DSM-5 diagnostic disorder. That's half of our young people. So we need to be aware that mental health is very real. And we also need to be looking at access to services. And families need to realize that if their kid's doing meth, instead of shame, we're really good at shame, even in rural communities. We need to pull back and try to figure out, okay, why are they using this and how can we help instead of, you know, what's wrong with you and why are you doing that? And so first understand most of the reasons substance abuse issues start is we're seeking help from stress, we're seeking help from depression, anxiety, or pain. Now, I, I want to let you talk as much as you want about the opioid uh, issue, but I do want to make sure we get to uh, electronics as well. Um, I'll, I'll give you the floor, and then we'll take a quick break and come back with the electronics and how that impacts uh, individuals as well. But uh, anything else you want to share with us uh, here today on the podcast uh, dealing with uh, our opioid crisis? Well, I think the most important thing is accept that it's real. And a lot of us live in the box like, oh, that can't happen to my family. If you look at the statistics and if you understand that about 113 people a day die because of opioid overdose, that's a staggering statistic. I was even looking at one the other day said it's about 320 people that die every day. And so we can't ignore this, and we should never go into shaming in that area. We need to be supportive and educated and understand it's a real medical issue. It's not oh, that old negative word of behavioral health. It's a real medical issue that we need to, we need to all be aware of and working towards. Well, Dr. Christy Kane, thank you so much for, for being our guest on the podcast today and in talking about this a very important issue for every single citizen in the United States and addressing mental health and those addictions that come with it. Uh, when we come back, though, we're going to talk about other addictions that are uh, having impacts on mental health and health in general when it comes to these new technologies that we all have in our pockets and on our desks. We'll be back right after these messages from our proud sponsors of the Lancast. Your National Cattlemen's Beef Association knows there's what benefits cattlemen and there's what doesn't. Trade, the farm bill, technology and conservation. The decisions being made in Washington affect the life of each and every cattleman. When it comes to the issues, there's simply no room for gray area. To us, it's as clear as black and white. Visit joinncba.org to learn more. 
Hey, thank you so much again to the NCBA for being a great sponsor of the LaneCast. And I just want to remind everyone that the Montana Stock Growers Convention is coming up pretty fast in the month of December. Make sure and get registered today and reserve your hotel rooms at the Northern Hotel and Doubletree Hotel in downtown Billings. Visit mtbeef.org for more information. Coming back today with our guest, Dr. Christy Kane. She is not only an expert in mental health and addressing opioid issues across the nation, but also the executive director of the Utah Association of Conservation Districts, which that is where we are at today at their 70th meeting. And we just talked about the opioid epidemic and how it's impacting rural and urban communities and so many more across the nation. But also we have a lot of addiction and health issues that maybe are coming from our smartphones, from our tablets, from our computers. What is this research and what is the message you are sharing that people should know about when it comes to these great technologies, but are they so great at the end of the day? You know, we it's interesting, um, like a lot of things, right? They come on the scene, they're new, they're attractive, and we don't pause and ask, should we? We just go full bore, right? And so as parents and as an adults, we've seen no problems with using social media. The national average of our young people today is 6.5 hours a day straight on electronic use with an estimation of a 12.5 of cumulative. And now I've shared that at different lectures and I'll have parents come up and say, you're telling me my kids are on their cell phone 12 hours a day. How can that be, Dr. K? And they go to school and I said, when you get up in the morning, what do you unplug? They're like, oh, my cell phone. And I go, when you go to bed at night, what do you plug in? Oh, my cell phone. And I said, yeah. What we find is electronics stimulate the neurotransmitter dopamine in the brain, just like if you were taking meth or cocaine. And our kids spend less than 13 seconds in a viewing mode on the electronic device. So every 13 seconds or less, they're getting a new text message, a new Snapchat, or looking at a new picture. And every time they do that, they stimulate the neurotransmitter dopamine into the brain. So we have overload in the brain. The other thing parents need to understand is the brain is not fully developed in a male until the age about 26 and a female till age 24. And the way that a brain develops is to create constructive neurological pathways. Now a a layman's term for that would be long-term memory. So for example, if someone's learning to play the violin, that will create a neurological constructive pathway of knowing how to play a violin. The electronics keep us all in our short-term memory, and there's no long-term constructive neurological creation. So not only are the electronic devices overstimulating our brains, they're actually developmentally delaying the creation of, of constructive neurological pathways. We estimate that 82%, no, 92% of our young people have smartphones. Now think about that, 92. Get this. I was recently interviewed in a documentary, Korea is passing laws about social media because it's disrupted the family culture so severely. India is contemplating that as well. We have critical educational schools like the Waterford no longer allowing electronics in their classrooms. Steve Jobs was asked this question, you may not know this, but when he first designed the tablet, um, an interviewer was interviewing him and said, your kids must find this amazing. And you know what he said? my kids don't have them 
because he understood that neurological stimulation that is difficult on the developing brain. And so that's part of the reason, and that's why it's so addictive. It plays with the same chemical that meth and cocaine play with, these electronic devices. Now, I know some people listening here today, they're going to say, oh, that's crazy. That, that's, but I, find, I know I'm addicted to my phone. And my wife will attest to that, and, I, and I'll, I'll speak openly about this. I mean, when I go to bed at night, my mind wanders, it's all over the place, and I'll go through memes, you know, just to kind of calm myself down, get my mind focused on one thing, and I know that's not healthy. What are some steps that I can do personally to maybe, well, I, I, let me share what I think I'm doing. Okay, I got an iWatch. And I've been trying to put that phone away at the end of the day and just plug it in. And if someone's calling, because I don't have a landline, if someone's calling me, I can see if I get a text message. And you can tell me if I'm wrong and utilizing more technology to maybe wean myself. But what are some tips for me personally when it's at the end of the day, you know, when I'm going to bed, how do I stimulate myself maybe differently to take my mind off of the worries of the day and uh, get a good night's rest and not be looking at my phone? You know, we've done some fascinating research, and I was just looking at a study by a psychologist out of Australia. It was fascinating. He showed in 2007, I think is when the first iPhone came into play, and he showed the statistical analysis of our time frame, spent at work, spent at doing body, you know, biological functioning, things like getting showered and things like that, and how much what we called as... Um, humanist-based activities, those empathy, sympathy-type-based activities. So, so in 2007, we spent about 30% of our time in humanistic activities, okay? Then you go to like 2011, and we're down to about 15. And then you look at today, we're, we're less than 7% of humanistic activities in our lives. And what I mean by that is the eye-to-eye, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe connection. And the reason that we see, if you may not know this, but teenage suicide is now number two. It was number three. Anxiety and depression are the number one adolescent issues. Our generations grew up building forts and spending time together. When we spend time together, there's a neurotransmitter created called oxytocin. Oxytocin is only produced through human touch. And what I explain to people is today, we are creating the most social, antisocial generation of all time. We live in the dopamine world and we diminish the oxytocin world. So what do you need to stabilize? You need to create stops. So for example, before the smartphone, you may have read a newspaper. The newspaper had a stop because when you came to the end of the paper that you were done, right? Books had a stop because when you came to the last page, we have no stops and we've created fractured attention is what we call it. We spend, you'll know this, advertisements say an ad should be less than 30 seconds, right? We even have publicists now telling authors not to write books more than 100 pages. We don't maintain attention. We don't maintain growth. Think about adults. When's the last time you memorized a phone number? When's the last time you used a normal map to mitigate spatial recognition? We don't do it anymore. So you've got to put back in your life the old-fashioned constructive stops. You need to have a time that, say, it's in the morning. You do not turn your electronics on until after you've had breakfast. And that's a hard stop. That means your watch doesn't get to play either. And at night, you have hard stops. Like, I have so many patients come in and say, Dr. Kane, I can't sleep. And I'm like, what do you do? Oh, I'm playing Candy Crush or whatever. And I'm like, well, you just woke your brain up, and then you tell it to go to sleep. So have hard stops. Have family time where all electronics go in a basket for an hour a day. 
go back to non-fractured attention spans. That's why people can't read. That's why we don't memorize, because we've altered the human brain. And most importantly, I tell everybody eight hugs a day for eight seconds, because that's the most stabilizing neurotransmitter for humans is oxytocin. So if you have kids in this electronic world, and electronics aren't going away, I'm not anti-electronic, but if you want to stabilize your families, and if you have kids struggling with anxiety or depression, hold them, hold them. And I have parents say, well, my teenagers don't want to be held. And I say, well, wrestling's a re legal sport in the United States. Take them to the ground and hold them. So create your heart stops and then increase natural activities. Nature, as a matter of fact, is huge for the brain. Spiritual experience is huge brain, neurological growth. Um, yoga, meditation, playing a musical instrument. Um, camping is amazing. And I don't know about you, but my family used to camp all the time. And we'd ask. You know, nowadays I have family who say they go to take their kids camping. The first thing the kids ask is their Wi-Fi. Well, the first thing we ask was their toilet paper. I mean, there's a big difference in the shift of our culture, right? And so create your hard stops. But most importantly, balance your serotonin and increase your oxytocin. Now, uh, Dr. Kane, uh, we've been talking about two very big epidemics, and, the, and they truly are epidemics. Where can folks go to find more information about you, the research, the message that you share with so many across this nation? Where, where can more that information be found? So my website is called offsmarter.com, so O-F-F smarter, S-M-A-R-T-E-R.com. And they'll see videos. Um, you know, I'm, I'm welcome to speak at different conventions and communities. But we have all the research and a lot of the videos up there about what we've talked about today. Anything else? I will give you the last uh, statement here before uh, we wrap up this show. But uh, one, one last message for our listeners out there today. You know, I don't want anybody to be scared. We're not that far off. We just have to go back to the old-fashioned values. And that's time with family. And that makes a difference. Well, and that's one thing about it. It doesn't matter if you are out on the farm or ranch or living in the city. Family time needs to come, and we need to be supportive and make sure and support anyone that is battling mental health and addiction or maybe putting our smartphones down in the morning or at the uh, end of the day. And I know I, without my watch, I, and I know I need to do that as well, and I... I oh, admittedly say that here to you today. Again, thank you so much to Dr. Christy Kane for joining us here today. Uh, it's been a great time here at the Utah Association of Conservation Districts annual meeting. Again, Dr. Christy Kane, I will provide her information and website in our details in the podcast link. That'll do it for today's agriculture conversation. Make sure and give a hug to those loved ones and, and support those who truly need support. It's okay to show emotion sometimes. We'll be back with a show later this week. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.